And we're back. Yeah. And I'm like not slurring at all now. Oh, maybe. Okay. (laughs) When you try to get things out fast, it's easier to slur. In fact, you slur normally in everyday life, but it's just more. You notice it more when you've been drinking because, like, oh, people are going to think I'm drunk. But yeah, I slur all the time just normally. Yeah. It's a hard job, man. Someone's got to do it. 460. You said it was 466. Yes, that is. That is correct. 466. Yeah, because 65's in the can. I get that up soon. 66. I'll try to bring some beers back from the from Puget, Puget Sound area. Because, like, we're. Probably have enough to do next week, but it would be kind of you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel. So mm-hmm. get some beers in for the next show. And then I think I'm due for oh, a run can... out to uh, VE. Skip this. Skip this. Skip this. Was that ECDC? It was, but I just been skipping through into this is the all 80s station. So, I just figured I'd... It feels like a decent... Sure, we can listen to some Tom Petty. It's got a bunch of different stuff in here. Like, the next few songs are... The thing with Tom Petty is... All of the hits are just, for me, so overplayed. Alright. Well... I think this playlist is going to be pretty much all overplayed. Yes. What I, what I would like is, you know, like a playlist of... How about some B-sides off of some of those 80s albums, you know? You know, give me a Beasties Boys song, you know. interesting. Is there, like, a B-sides station? I'm a big fan of listening to albums the whole way through. Mm Mm-hmm. You are? Interesting. I am. If I find an artist or someone I like... Or you know, like 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 this one, like well, you know, it makes me want to like listen to the rest of License is the Ill, mm-hmm. and just see what some of the other songs are that I may not remember. You know, from when I listened to the Beasties when I was in you know seventh grade. Um, I'm looking for like yeah, I'm looking for a playlist or something for like B side playlists, but I don't see any. Guess that's not popular. <laughs> I wonder why. Because it's on the fucking B side. Like, uh, you know, it's just... I'm trying to think. You know, some of the, the bands I've been listening to recently, I'll find the songs and then I'll hop on Spotify or uh, Amazon Music and just listen to the album straight through. Um, Regina Spector, uh, Okay Chance. You know, and, and for those, like, like, it seems like for me more often than not, I, I just like listening to the progression of how the album's arranged. You know, it's kind of the producer type thing and seeing how the songs flow into one another and things like that. So, speaking of uh, purchases, which you weren't, but I'm still, <laughs> never mind. Uh, this is new. Because uh, I don't know if you saw last time, but I'd, I'd, I'd super cracked my my Apple I Watch. I didn't. Yeah. That. 
Um, so I need to get a new one. And uh, so how old was your old Apple Watch? Like how many like versions behind was it? It was a Series Zero. So this okay. is a Series Three. Okay. So it was. So this is a new. So, so what does this one like? What do you love most about the new one? Like that you didn't have in the old one. It it doesn't have scratches on it. Functionally, it's not. That Functionally, is it's a little bit faster. It, it it doesn't slow down as much when it's going to applications. But really, I like the Apple Watch. I think it's fine. I've, I've said this before, and I I think this it still uh, follows, which is that this is the best two hundred dollar watch I've ever owned, which I paid four hundred dollars for. However, I paid $200 for this watch because I had a $225 gift certificate or Apple Store certificate from turning in my last iPhone. Okay. So this cost me 200 bucks. So Now, can this one make calls like right from the watch? Or? No, this is not a cellular version. This is oh, okay. ju- this has GPS into it, but it's not cellular. I, I, I don't know the features. Yeah. I've never considered now, I can call, I think I can answer calls here as long as my things, but I can't yeah. like... I mean, I heard, like like I said, I've not followed the features of an Apple Watch. Yeah. Uh, I heard the, like, you know, Tim Cook said something about making calls exclusively from your watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I didn't know how standard that was. Um, you said GPS, though. So, what? like, explain that to me. Like, I, it, it, has, it has internal GPS, so it doesn't have to go okay. to your phone to get GPS. Uh, it's much more powerful than my than my first watch. It's a lot faster going to applications and stuff like that. But it's still the same thing. It's the same. Uh, there's nothing has changed really about the watch. It's just faster than what it's yeah. doing. Uh, but I, I've always liked the Apple Watch. I think that uh, even though I don't use it for much besides telling time and when I'm at work, you know, getting notices when I have emails and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, it takes me away. Um, yeah, I just, I just, the thing I, the the thing that has me most curious about an Apple Watch, and it's a thing that with like the activities my kids are in, we haven't done at all this year is uh geocaching, right? Because the geocaching app has the thing on the watch. So instead of pulling your phone out and seeing which direction to walk, you can just look at your wrist and see which direction to walk. Yes. So that seems interesting. It's like, is there a, you probably don't play Pokemon Go anymore. But I'm assuming there's a Pokemon yes. Go app for your watch, right? There is, yes. So there's this application called Here Easy, which should give me... Uh, yeah. So this tells me I'm here. Gives me actual coordinates. If it was working. Some tools to the trade left. There's a little bit of Dippa. A dipa. There's a little bit of saison left if you're in oh there's a little bit of fresh cut left. See, look at that. All those beers. If you're thirsty. It says quick gadgets geo make So do you think Apple's latitude and longitude and we can get immediate? Do you think they're uh, coasting on the Apple Watch? Or do you think it's gonna be like new? We're a thousand feet above sea level. It gives me bearing. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, bearing only showed when you move, so you gotta be moving for it to mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Oh, so okay. so there, there's there's cool. Yeah. So like older GPSs, right? They didn't necessarily have a compass in them, like a compass chip. 
but they could do a delta. So like when you moved, it could tell. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I'm oriented this way. Right. So that way is north. You know, um, where it's funny because like the microbed, which is a little program microcontroller, fifteen bucks. It has a compass in it, right? right so yes. It doesn't have to do that whole delta, you know, interpolation of which way it's oriented. It's an interesting question that, that Shane asked me, which was, um, does because he didn't really understand electromagnetics, and that's cool. I mean, why would you? But he was like, is it re- required that we have an electromagnetic field in order for electromagnetic stuff to work? Uh, which is a decent question. Uh, and the answer is no. I mean, the, the Earth has its own electromagnetic field, and that's but that's just it's a really low skip. <laughs> skip. Please skip. Thank you. It's a really low intensity electromagnetic field that's only there um, essentially because most things are going to be neutral, so that's why it's uh, roughly there. But yeah, I mean, the interesting the question is, do we need, do you need something producing a field in order to have it in interaction with the field? And uh, the but answer, are, yeah, I mean, I think he was asking like, does does the production of the field instantiate the medium? Right. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the answer is no. The field is there, or isn't there? I mean, it, it's the medium is there. The media, yes, the medium is there whether you excite it or not. Or, yeah, exciting the field or not. Yeah. Um, but you asked the question about magnets before, right? Last time, I think you said, you know, what happens... How do they work, man? When you when you bring two magnets together, mm-hmm. what is it that's... You know, how do you explain what it is that they're doing? And I said, you know, you can look at, like, hills, okay. where one is they're encountering hills. Did I say that? Something like that, yeah. So here's... Okay, I, I don't remember that part. But here, let me give you a magnet question. Yes, sure. Rare earth magnets, today's magnets, right? They're either so far apart that they're barely interacting and normal friction doesn't do them. Or they're so close together that they snap together. That that zone of where they're either not interacting or are interacting is so narrow. Mm-hmm. What could be done to widen that zone to open up more possibilities, right? That's a question I've been thinking for, you know, like... What do you mean by opening up more possibilities? Well... I know this statement's not going to come across the right way, but to make it... uh, Like, trying to do magnetic levitation, right? with like today with electromagnetic levitation in the microcontrollers you can do it like they have those football helmets that rotate around and stuff like that right um and that's i'm pretty sure those are more microcontrollers than um polymagnets yeah so here's the but but the thing is like the the realm of not sliding together and snapping together is such a small area and if there could be some material science being done to make kind of that neutral zone a wider gap. Now, like I said, this is just yeah. This is me, right? Let's smoking weed and thinking <laughs> up an idea, right? Let me. And ex- this is like if we could make that gap wider, what possibilities in magnetism could be possible? Right? So kind of let me explain why that may be a problem 
or maybe a very hard problem to solve by getting down to something a little bit more basic about electro- the electromagnetic interaction, which is that if you had two magnets um, that were directly next to each other, mm-hmm. uh, if they were in that situation and not moving, there would not be any attraction between them. Even if they're super strong. Right. Because the whole point is that the only way that this interaction happens is when one of them moves. There has to be some some differential in the field in order for them to start attracting each other. So if, if these popped into existence right next to each other, mm-hmm. they wouldn't attract each other. They, one of them has to move. One of them has to be pushed in some way in order for that difference to, to happen. Right. That, that's, it, it's, a, it's a weird concept, right? If you okay. put, if, if you popped two magnets... Into proximity where they would otherwise, if they were existing there. So you're saying if I take two magnets and I slide them where they're attracting, but I hold them apart, and I let them go and they snap together, that would be different whether... Two magnets were made by nanobots, like right together, and they would not snap together. No, okay. no, because the the process of making them is essentially the process of moving them. the The, the point is that okay. if you imagine a universe where things can essentially pop into existence, which does, we don't have. Well, that, that's difficult, right? Because yes. it's you're you're imagining something that my my experiment my. Um, you know, thought experiment was that, you know, in that that magical zone where they go from not snapping together to snapping together, it it's so small where if we could and I don't even know like so I thought of this while you were talking a second ago. I don't know what it means to want to make a zone that zone wider where Maybe they're more attracted, but not enough to snap together. Like soft, they like softly want to attract, as opposed to strictly want to attract. Right. I don't know what that means either. Uh, but, so, but I mean, what what I'm kind of like this is almost like a weed smoking idea, right? Like, like it it's it's not an easy problem. It's not an apparent what the. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> it's it's not a um It's just one of those things like, you know, it, it's a thought experiment. Like, you know, like it, it was spawned out of why do magnets snap together so fast? Right. Yes. And what if we could do something to make them snap together less fast? Would there be advantages in solving other problems to do that? That that was kind of my problem space. In theory, you could do that by... Putting them in a thicker medium. Putting them in a thicker medium or putting them into a lot... In terms of thicker medium, have a lot of other electromagnetic fields around them, so they're half attracted and half not, so so they're they're feeling a lot of other forces. Mm -hmm. Think about this. Think about it this way. The piston in your car engine, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, That goes up because there's an explosion mm-hmm. of small sorts that that turns this uh, system which has a lot of gas in it mm-hmm. which is in this very uh, low sure. entropy situation to a high entropy situation um, 
because it's compressed down to very low entropy situation and then you use this thing to burst into high entropy situation but imagine but that that works because the environment out here is 70 degrees fahrenheit or you know 20 degrees celsius or whatever Mm -hmm. imagine that you know the temperature when this bursts up is around 1500 degrees celsius Mm -hmm. imagine that this was in a was bathed in this engine was bathed in in an atmosphere of 1500 degrees celsius okay this wouldn't do anything. The piston wouldn't move. Because the only thing that you can extract energy from is from differentiation of energy and not from energy itself. The only thing you can do is extract energy okay. from differentials. So, I, I want to look inside the piston cylinder real quick, right? So let, let's raise the whole system up to... First off, uh, I don't expect you to have this answer, but what is the auto-ignition temperature of, of gasoline... Yeah, right. Because if it's over, if it's well under fifteen hundred, it's gonna self ignite anyway. But even okay, so okay, we have a compressed cylinder. Well, actually, that's what diesel engine does, right? Diesel engines self ignite. It compresses the diesel fuel to such a point that it hits self ignition temperature, and it expands. I don't think. Okay, tell me where I'm wrong here. I didn't. I've never seen. I still don't appreciate how the surrounding temperature outside the engine would affect the expansion of those gases. I mean, I guess you're, are you, are you saying the gases had to go in above the self-ignition temperature so they could never self-ignite because they were pre-ignited before they even went in? Well, what I'm saying is that the reason the piston is pushed up is because the temperature inside is higher than the outside temperature, so it wants to expand. Okay, so, right, so the temperature okay, so above when you ignite in the cylinder, a fuel, you create heat, expands the gas that's left over. Even though it's a chem- even though it's a chemical change, that's not what makes the piston go. But it's the it's the uh, ideal gas law. It's a different it. yeah. It's a difference between the outside temperature and the temperature inside the cylinder. That's pushing it up. That if you compress. You know, if you compressed 70 degree air down to 1500 degrees Celsius uh, and then try to use that to push it into air that's already 1500 degrees Celsius, there's not going to be anything to do because there's... I know, I disagree. Well, you can I, test it. Okay. <laughs> you can run Have this you tested it? Uh, I've seen... So, yeah. Okay. I've not done I've not done tests myself, but I've seen stuff. But you're not pushing it into your... You have a closed system... That is your engine block, your your compression cylinder. Mm-hmm. So you have a cylinder head that compresses down. So you put you put gas, you put a, a fuel air mix into the bottom of the cylinder. The cylinder compresses it down, so the temperature is going to go up. In a, a gasoline engine, it does not reach auto ignition. You need a spark plug to make the spark. Mm-hmm. In a diesel engine, it does reach auto ignition. When the auto ignition happens, it turns fuel air into all air, all, like mostly. I mean, there's the exhaust, there's there's particulate, but the the fuel turns from a, a vapor into a, a gas, right? It and then so there's more gas in the cylinder, which expands and pushes it up. Now, what you're saying is, if it's already hot, it's already expanded. But there's also that chemical change, right? Where you're changing from a vapor to a gas. 
And that's going to increase volume. If that doesn't su- sufficiently add to the energy, then it's not going to increase volume. The only reason it, it increases volume is because it sufficiently adds to the energy of the system. Okay. If you light a match inside a 1500 degree room, you're not going to sufficiently increase the heat around your match. Right? Well, okay, but that's to me that's different, right? I mean, it's still going to support combustion. It's not like you're going to strike a match and it's not going to light. But but the point is that you're not going to be able to to power a different engine with that. Are you, I think you're confusing the like a combustion engine with um, that, that the Stirling engine. Stirling engine. But no, but just imagine that you you have a piston. But but the Stirling engine is finely balanced to ha- to take advantage of that differential. A combustion engine is taking a chemical advantage. It's the same thing. It's just thermodynamics. You have to move some heat from a hot area to a cold area in order for you to produce energy. Otherwise, you're not going to do anything. You have to have some differential. I'm having a hard time imagining this thought experiment as as you place it. See if we can come up with a different one, then. Well, no. I mean, I want to. I want you. I would love to see an example of someone's been able to show how a combustion engine does not work at fifteen hundred degrees Celsius or whatever temperature, um, and and not because the the mechanical parts break, but because the the thermodynamics don't work. Because to me, it's a closed system inside that cylinder, and you're converting fuel into combustion well the point of of the of the system is that you you are cooling the inside of the cylinder by doing the compression no no compression increases the temperature but the inside the cylinder itself gets cooled to a different temperature than the outside temperature i i I completely disagree with your under the piston it doesn't it gets higher but inside the piston because you're removing gas you're making it cooler Wait, what? The piston pushes a volume of gas down, uh-huh. right? But there is gas that comes in because it's not a, it's not a vacuum. Okay. There's gas yeah, that comes it's, into it's normal ambient pressure on the top side of the piston, which is much cooler than what's underneath the piston. Okay. And the reason why the piston goes back up is because that energy from the heat is pushing the piston back up into oh. the much cooler air. Well, sure. If you had a sealed system where the piston was had equal pressures on both sides, then yes, it's not going to work. That's exactly what but, I'm saying. But, no, it's not exactly what you're saying. You're talking about temperatures, not pressures, and they're not exactly the same thing. They're I mean, related. They're very much They're related. related, but they're not exactly the same if thing. You, can, if, you could put uh, an engine, as long as the other mechanicals don't break down, just because the temperature on the top side of the piston is 1,500 degrees, and not constrained by pressure as long as there's an open system that can the 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 gases in the as long as the 1500 if the expansion of gases does not create a an appreciable temperature differences but by any then then they won't expand right the gases have to be appreciably different in terms of temperatures in order for them to expand at all Okay, so if you had an entire universe where it was 1,500 degrees and you ignite the fuel air inside the piston, you're saying that 
It's not because anymore. the entire universe outside the piston is at fifty. It'll be at equilibrium. It's at that energy already, which which is just the kinetic energy of the system. You're not adding to the kinetic but energy. I still think you're confused. I'm starting to hear your story, but I still think you're severely confusing combustion engines with Sterling engines because it's not just the. I could be wrong here. I'm trying to think it through. I'm having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just you have... Because it's not just pressures, it's not just temperatures. You, you're you converting this matter inside the bottom of the compression cylinder, which is a fuel air mix at a high temperature. When you combust it, it's gonna, it increases its volume... Pressure. Why does it increase its volume? Because you're doing a chemical conversion from a hydrocarbon to carbon dioxide and whatnot. And it, but why does it increase its volume? Okay, I get what you're saying because of ideal gas law, temperature, pressure, all that stuff. Um, okay, it's getting less easy. You... <laughs> But I'm still imagining this thing where the whole universe is equilibrium for it to not work. If it's not in equilibrium, it would work still. Yeah, that's kind of where well, I'm yeah, at right now. Well, that goes back to the magnet thing. But, but we're, I'm just talking about... I'm, I'm ignoring that magnet thing and just thinking about the system. Mm-hmm. You know, if you bathe the system in the temperature, then you're not going to be able to have a differential temperature and so you're not going to be able to drive yeah, it. I, I haven't bought into you need a differential temperature for an internal combustion engine. That's what I haven't bought into yet. Well, how else are you going to extract energy if you don't have a differential temperature? You get differential impression. Such as? By turning hydrocarbons into gases. Why would hydrocarbons turn into gases? With combustion. Why would they combust? Because they're combustible. But there That's has... what they do. Yes, but why, why do things combust? There's a triangle, right? Combustion triangle? Okay. I guess. I don't Heat, remember. fuel, oxygen. Okay. Right? In order to get combustion, you need all three of those. Right. But you're getting the heat from the combustion, you're getting the fuel from the hydrocarbons, and you're getting the oxygen from the atmosphere. The heat is only there if it's not just ambient, right? I mean, if, if it's just the ambient heat, then there's no actual energy of heat going into a system. But go back to the diesel engine, right? The diesel engine cylinder is hot enough to ignite the fuel. Sure. If you, in comparison to the rest of the atmosphere around I it, I disagree. I disagree. That's okay. important. In a Stirling engine, yes, but this is well, Stirling engine is, is just a very thermodynamic. It's just thermodynamics in in. Right. A Stirling engine uses thermodynamics. A internal combustion every engine uses no, thermodynamics. No, an internal combustion engine uses chemical conversion chemical reactions which is not thermodynamics <laughs> I guess I don't know enough because I would say no it's different it you can get kinetic energy is the energy that is essentially from the movement of things the movement of things broadly speaking is temperature 
if you already have something moving at that temperature, you can't excite it to a to a larger. T- if you push something at the same, like, something is moving at a certain speed, and you come along and run alongside it, and don't actually, and you're moving alongside it, so you grab it. Just because you're moving at a certain speed doesn't mean that it's going no, to be the thing. Its speed is going to increase. I don't. I don't know. We're just going to have to let this one go. My point of view is: you have your hydrocarbon chain. When you turn that, when you combust that, it converts into gases that take up more volume. So that volume expands the cylinder. They take up more volume because there's there's a differential for them to take up. Right? They wouldn't necessarily take up more volume if there wasn't any more volume for them to take. Okay, and well, if they can't take up more volume, then they're going to be under more pressure. And they're going to be under more pressure. And that's what moves the cylinder. So consider then, let's see how I can come across this. Uh, consider the effect of an explosion at 1500 degrees inside just a, a, a chamber that is 1500 degrees itself. Something that produces 1,500 degrees inside a 1,500 degrees chamber. Well, that's to me, I'm still thinking that's what a diesel engine is, right? The cylinder comes down, the fuel, the diesel fuel air mixture compresses and compresses. When it gets to its auto ignition temperature, that it, on, the, on the bottom side of the cylinder, that's equilibrium, right? The, the gas law. Increase the temperature. That's equilibrium. You've hit equilibrium. No, just inside the cylinder. There's. I don't think. It, to me, I cannot see how if the top side of the cylinder was fifteen hundred degrees, but not constrained in volume. Because it already is. Because it's, it's at firing. its equilibrium point. You're not adding more energy to it. Okay, maybe I used the wrong term. The cylinder is coming down. The, the bottom of the cylinder where the fuel air is, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. At a moment, the pressure that it creates is the auto-ignition temperature of the cylinder. Turns all the fuel into there into gas. Now, the pressure has gone up because the, the volume that the gas wants to occupy is higher than the volume that the fuel wanted to occupy. Yes, yes, sure. Okay. So now it pushes the cylinder back up. Let, let me let, let, think of it this way. Okay. Uh, you have a piston at the top of a cylinder. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, sort of dots. You can think of it as a bunch of gas moving around. When you push the cylinder down, you're compressing all of those things that are flying around into much more space. It's the same amount. It's the same yeah. volume of gas, right? No, so, it's the same number of atoms. It's, same not number, the same, same, it's not the same volume of gas. Same number of atoms. You're pushing it, compressing it. Into a smaller volume, yes, okay. Compressing into a smaller volume, it wants to push back up because out in this area... It doesn't just want to push back up. The chemical conversion makes it want to push back up even more. It's not like just blowing up a balloon. It's like blowing up a balloon with gasoline and then lighting it on fire. It's it's taking... It's multiplying the amount of pressure... In, in, in you're, you're, so you're, you're taking the kinetic energy part of the explosion and thinking that that is the, the major part of the, of the piston, but it's not. The kinetic energy part is a very tiny amount of what actually makes the piston pop up. I know. I wouldn't... I wouldn't... I would call it the chemical reaction. I wouldn't call it the kinetic energy part. To me, kinetic energy is the actually moving of the piston, right? I mean, 
and you sure you're gonna define it differently here in a second but and and i'm wrong sure i'm wrong whatever it's what i'm saying is okay so imagine if the density of this gas was the same in the top of the piston as it was in the bottom of the piston there's there no the reason densi- yeah if the density was the same but that's not the same as putting it in a 1500 degree chamber the if you had a furnace with an open vent at one one atmosphere, yeah, okay, it's not yes, the same. Yes, let let's okay. I see what you're saying. That's what I've been arguing for the last twenty minutes. Then then I I, I see where I where I made my mistake, uh, which is that my explanation should have included the temperature and pressure of yes, the, the compressor. That's, that's not what we were arguing for the last 20 minutes. That's exactly why I said I made a mistake. <laughs> I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I made a mistake. You're right. I made a mistake. Consider the situation. I, I don't have anything else to argue. Sure, if you're... If, if you're balancing the pressure on the top and bottom of that cylinder, then yes, it's not going to work. I was... Okay, I mean, good. So let's go back now, to the... Now, I'm imagining... You're in a blast furnace in a steel mill, right? And you keep adding energy to the furnace to keep the temperature at your desired temperature. But there's a vent out to the rest of the universe. That's the system I was imagining. And I said the internal combustion engine still works. And I told you, yeah, sure. Because I, I mistold, I, I, I may gave you the wrong example. The example is the same pressure and heat in the outside world. So yeah, there's no there, there's no differential for it to go into. I so my problem was I was skipping. I, okay, I was so assuming a, that. So here's a question for you then: How do you maintain that system, right? Because as the cylinder moves down, you're going to have to supplant more pressure on the top side of the cylinder. Mm-hmm. Just a, uh, put it in Venus or something. What Venus? There's a lot of gravitational potential, and that's causing the pressure. So that's what's maintaining. Okay, but no, this thing starts moving. It's pushing down. Mm-hmm. You have to have an air, a air compressor pushing pressure into the top of that. Right, cylinder. effectively, it wouldn't even move down. So you're making a machine that intentionally doesn't work. I'm trying to show you that a machine that would work under certain conditions won't work under other conditions. No, you're, you're not. You're 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 adding a second machine to the first machine to specifically make it not work. No, I'm putting this, the the machine into a different situation in which it will. Okay, so you have a system where the cylinder will go down, but won't go up. No, it won't even move. That's what the starter is for. That's how you get an engine going in the first place. But you can't start the engine if it's bathed in this, in, in the same pressure. Well, how do you start an engine? You add extra energy into the system. But you, where? Yeah, exactly. Where is that energy going to come from if the system is bathed in the it's same energy? It's either from a battery or a crank or something. But the, it's not... So now you're arguing that a system in equilibrium will start moving. That's what you just argued. No, I'm arguing the system in equilibrium won't start moving. Right. And how does an engine start moving? It takes it out of equilibrium by adding extra energy. Right, but you won't... Otherwise, be, it's not an engine. But you can try. You can put extra energy into things and not extract energy out of it. You can try to, you can try sure, to get the engine to those start. those aren't engines. And it won't work. Those aren't engines. Those are engines, but those are engines that won't work under those conditions. Like, you can take an engine that will work in... Uh, you Just take, because I call this beer can an engine and it will never work doesn't make it an engine. If you took the engine that runs at 1,500 degrees and you put it into a 1,500 degree and that pressure bath, then it wouldn't run. 
no, no, you're you're wrong here. I I understand you're arguing. You're not getting it right. How how can you compress something if there's no energy with if there's no differential with which to compress? Because it? we're you're not defining an engine properly. No engine starts with. No engine goes from equilibrium to motion without adding extra energy. So you're putting some energy into it that's to, to, to compress something, that's but it's not going to be on your lawnmower. But that's but the only reason the that actually hand. works is because you can start the reaction of the engine working, and then let have it go from there. Have have the uh, but okay. Why explain me? Explain to me why I'm hearing you wrong. What I'm hearing you say is that. You can't have an engine work at equilibrium because it's equilibrium. And my argument is an engine does not start working at equilibrium because you add energy into it to take it out of equilibrium. Well, my my argument is that the engine is not at equilibrium, but it still requires a push to start. It won't just start. How is that not taking it out of equilibrium? Well, it is. It, it was. I was already out of equilibrium in the first place because you you have pistons that are down, pistons that are up, and 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 probably different pressures inside of them. Okay, forget the fifteen hundred degrees. Sixty eight degrees outside in your car right now. Car's been sitting for a few hours. Mm-hmm. Let's just assume that it's reached equilibrium. Mm-hmm. That the steel, the air, the fuel air inside your cylinders, everything sixty eight degrees. Okay, equilibrium. Yes. Sure. All right. You got to start your car. You have you have chemical energy in your battery. Mm-hmm. That, that starts turning the operation and starts the operation happening. Mm-hmm. The fact that then energy is being able to be extracted out of the situation keeps the the situation going. Just adding energy to the system will crank it a bit and then do nothing. Right? If you crank it in a system where where it's under full equilibrium, you'd be able to move it. Just by putting the energy you put into it, but it won't extract energy. You won't be able to extract energy out of the system. You can turn your your tire wheel. You can turn right. your wheels okay, on the bicycle. My argument is that one that, so in this scenario you're setting up, it, it, it's it's a, you're setting up a very specific argument and scenario that like. Okay, so you're putting this engine in a place where I'm trying the, the the point I'm trying to get at is that in order for energy to be extracted from something, there needs to be a differential. If there is not a differential, then energy can't be extracted out of something. Right, but you and, and okay, maybe you've relented this part. You, your argument at the beginning was very strongly temperature differential. Yes. I explained I was wrong there. Okay. So if we walk away from that, then maybe... I, I gotta pee a little bit. I gotta, I've been drinking beer. Feel free to- so I'm having a hard time making sure everything is square. Your new argument... I'm also getting kind of bored. So your new argument? Sure, whatever. I don't care. To bring this back to the magnets, the point being that in order for the magnets to extract energy, which would make... They need to move, right? 
in order for them to move, energy has to be extracted out of the system. In order for there to be any energy to extract out of the system, the system can't be in equilibrium. So they, there has to be some change. There's Why some differential. so much time on fucking engines? No, no, I understand that is a problem with the magnets. Because the magnet and, and the engine work on the same principle, ultimately. Which is there's some differential, right? Uh, I was... This is just like... Like I said, completely smoking weed type thing. But like, you know, like material science, catalysts, changing how magnets behave. You know, that that's kind of the idea, right? Like if you can make magnets have a higher tolerance of... But I think, I think we solved the problem. I think it is... It's the density of the fluid that the magnets are in. I think that... It, we could have stopped there, like, <laughs> half an hour ago. Well, right? no, I, I the, think that in, in some ways, I understood, thanks to you, that I was that, that my example, which was a good example, was missing a key important part, because otherwise, I was my example was wrong. No, if it wasn't a my No, my example system. was wrong because I was missing a key point, and you, you made that very clear. My... <laughs> it, took, it only took me 40 minutes to do that. <laughs> right. I don't see why that's a bad yeah. thing. I mean, you should have to convince me of something, and then me realizing it. It's not. I'm not. I'm a fucking god I'm not, here. I'm. No, a, I'm, no I'm I wasn't me. saying that. I'm saying it was 40 minutes of us fucking arguing about some crazy shit, and people were listening. Well, the point. The point to me is that I won't make that mistake again. You will know how to counter that mistake from somebody who who makes it, and we both are understanding now what we're talking about, and and. This will not be something that will fade from our brains. It, it, you know, it's fun for me because we've talked about this before, but I I don't argue on things I'm not certain of. And this is one where I had high enough certainty and eventually articulated the reason. So it, it was it was good because I love arguing with you. It's fun. <laughs> but there's so many times we talk about topics that I don't have enough knowledge in. That I just nod sure. my head and let you go, you know. And it, it's great when we when we reach equilibrium, and I'm comfortable with arguing back. But then you get bored because there's no more energy left in the conversation. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my point regarding the magnets, magnets is is that if magnets aren't moving, then they must have been in an equilibrium point. Right, and magnets can't have an equilibrium point where... Oh, I guess... Okay, I get it, right? So, if friction is winning, magnets stay stationary. And if magnetic force is winning, they snap together. Mm -hmm. And my unscientific like thought experiment was, what's the space in between? Right. Right, that's all. Yeah. What's the space in between? And, and will that change the world? The space in between is time. I guess. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Uh, and and so the, it, it's the fact that conditions change is essentially what time is. Uh, and okay. now, see, now we're on the right track, right? I, I finally articulated right. What's the space in between friction versus magnets? And can that do something? And the answer, well, the easy answer, the the classic answer is no. Right. But people are doing all kinds of crazy fucking shit with material science. Mm -hmm. And so my next question is, are you sure there's not a space in between? 
No, you know, that's the thing. The sense, that's the thing. So, right? okay, so remember the whole thing about time crystals? Remember okay. that thing, which was uh, essentially that was an oscillating, uh, an oscillating configuration of states in time. So, okay. it, the the idea behind it was that uh, you know a crystal is a, is a specific type of of state, uh, and that state in general stays the same through time. Uh, if that state were to sort of oscillate back and forth in time, mm-hmm. then you have something that weirdly kind of has this. this, this it just it's weird to look at. It's weird to do the the same transformations that you would do to understand them okay. with the other equations. Uh, so if you had magnets that were time crystals that were in equilibrium in some conditions and then not in equilibrium in other conditions, right. then you could, in theory, cause something like that. I guess that that would be the the thing that comes to my mind mm-hmm. based on principles that I understand and the way that physics works. You could come about having a system that can go off of equilibrium without having anything actually induce right. it. Oh, so here, here's I, I a little bit understand what you're saying. Just kind of riffing on my initial idea, right? Okay, put magnets in a, fl- a thicker fluid. Put them in um, silly putty, right? They'll move together really slowly because it's such a viscous liquid. But okay, what? Like and this goes back to the material science part of it. How could we make magnets less? So you know, there's strong rare earth magnets. There's weak ferromagnetic magnets, things like that. Mm-hmm. But like, is there a different property of magnets where in air we can make them less attractive, but like o- over a longer distance? You know, like still have attraction at a reasonable different distance, but not pull so hard. Right? That's I'm talking about the same thing I was talking about mm-hmm. before, but just trying to state a different way to see if it. Well, those, those meta magnet things that you gave me have something sort of like that, where they come together and then mm-hmm. stop. Well, those use calculated, see, or an array of magnetic mm-hmm. fields, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's an array of magnetic fields, right? So you have some pushing, some pulling, and, and then get into equilibrium. There's, there's a yes, there is a. Um, balance programmed into the magnet with the polymagnets all right um i really gotta go so do you want to carry the show while i go yeah or do you want to, okay. i'll carry the show because right. it seems like you have more questions so i want to do you i don't know okay well we'll see we'll see when he comes back if he has more questions once, uh, I, once I release, I might have all kinds of like, great insights. I, I was playing with, with this idea, actually. It, it was funny that, that Jeff brought it up, which is this concept of, of time as some sort of conserved quantity. And the reason why I bring up conserved quantity is because when we think of things like energy, angular momentum, uh, regular momentum, electric charge, these are all things that are conserved quantities. So if, if I can look at time in the same sense and I can get like a better picture of what it is even though just like energy it's an abstract concept so the idea is time this uh conserved quantity going by noter's theorem uh conserved quantities are those things that are uh that stay the same in systems with a continual symmetry so if you have a symmetry of uh rotation then you get angular momentum for example is that angular momentum mean the conserved quantity so I was trying to formulate where this would come from, and I didn't get very far. Like, again, with, with some concepts that don't work, here's one example of one that it doesn't work. 
uh, time as the conserved quantity in deterministic cyclic systems. I don't think that works because you're really defining things very narrowly here. Uh, and these are not necessarily continuous. And the problem with is Notre Dame means continuous symmetries, not uh, not a broken or, or a symmetry that is, sub, is broken somewhere else. Uh, and if you're defining a system, you're not defining necessarily the universe. So the, 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 what I'm thinking more is, is time is, is that which drives systems into new states or into potentially new states. Uh, but most systems are simple and cyclic and it's their interactions that cause uh, time to have an effect. I only got the last little bit, so mm-hmm. I did. I'm not sure I understand the context of the whole. Thing. I'm trying to figure out if if I can define time as as a conserved quantity in the same way that I I can put energy in there, I can put angular momentum in there, I can put charge in there. Is there? Really? Um, I'm I'm surprised. I mean, you have a much deeper understanding. I'm surprised that's a question. I thought the answer would be easily yes. I can't think of the symmetry where I can pull out time as a conserved quantity. Well, symmetry, I mean, it's a constant, right? It, it ha, it's... Okay, so... I guess it's not a constant. Right? The, so let me uh, explain Noether's theorem. I think I've talked about this before, but Noether's theorem is that any system, any s- continuous system, uh, has an associated conserved quantity. Okay. So the example, for example, is angular momentum, is the conserved quantity that's associated with a continuous rotational symmetry. Because you can rotate around that in any which way, the angular momentum is always going to be the same for for some object, no matter how you rotate it. Uh, the other example would be regular momentum. Is if there's continuous linear symmetry, continue or translational symmetry, as they say, which more or less means this system that I have, if I parallel transport this system a million miles away, it's going to act the same. Because there's no difference between here and a million miles away in terms of how space operates. It's a continuous symmetry in Mm -hmm. terms of how linear stuff operates. So there's a conserved quantity. Any momentum in that system will be the same here versus there. The momentum will be conserved in any system like that. Um, Energy is a system that's conserved in... in, uh, is the quantity that's conserved in systems that obey a time translation symmetry. So this works the same a thousand years ago than it does now than it does a million years ago. The system that is con- the en- the quantity that's conserved in there is energy. Uh, charge is a more complex symmetry called the U one gauge symmetry, but it's the same thing. It's just a conserved quantity associated with a continuous symmetry in space. Right. I'm, ha- I'm having a hard time really following here. So, uh, <laughs> just I'm getting, so you know, I'm, I'm getting just deep. So you know. I'm getting deep. But the point being that I don't have a non. Um, abstract definition of energy. I don't have a non-abstract definition of angular momentum, really, but I can say angular momentum and energy both fall under this category of continuous sim- of quantities associated okay. with particular continuous symmetries. All right. so, so the question is, can I find a, a particular continuous symmetry that I can associate time with? Like, can I put time into that same bucket? Can I use that same bucket to define time? I don't know. So you, the one thing I was kind of trying to ponder while you were yes. finishing was the whole. You don't have a 
how'd you say about energy right you don't have a, a differential well actually differential was what i was going to use to talk you said something about like a definition of oh, i don't remember what you said some about don't have a def- definition of energy. I don't. I don't have a non-abstract. Non-abstract, of right? Okay, okay. So maybe non-abstract is where I missed it, right? Because what I was gonna say, and I already have a counter to what I'm about to say here, is that you know when I think of energy, I think of it as a differential in a system, right? But let's go back to the argument we had 40 minutes ago, mm-hmm. where you have a system where there is um, equal temperatures on both sides. There's still energy in the system, but it's not a differential, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, so... Yeah. The, the, so that whole differential so argument... There's, that kinetic energy is a differential in the system. In, in comparison to something that, that, has, that does not have the same... I mean, compared to you have a chamber... Uh-huh. With two parts with a slider in the middle, and you have equal amounts of temperature and pressure on both sides. There's a lot, and it's a lot of temperature and a lot of pressure. So there's a lot of energy in the system, but it's at equilibrium. So there's no kinetic energy. Yeah. So so think about this. Anytime you see somebody somebody claiming that they can get energy out of zero point energy, that they can use that to get energy. Well, so what is zero-point energy? Zero-point energy is the fact that electrons still spin at zero uh, at zero Kelvin. That doesn't stop. The, 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 uh, the cloud of electrons, they don't store, they don't stop in position. Right, they don't freeze. They don't freeze at zero Kelvin. There's an there's a energy there regardless of the fact that whether there's kinetic energy into a system. So okay, at, a zero, at, at absolute zero, zero Kelvin. There is a there is still atoms stop vibrating. Atoms stop vibrating kinetically, but electrons still spin. Is that yes? There and this is the same spin as spin up, spin down, or is this something else? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's it's they have the same properties. They don't stop. But, it, but is doing. it when we say spin? We're talking about like the whole flavor. Of, yeah, they okay. they still still have their same intrinsic properties that they would in any kinetic energy. Kinetic energy is irrelevant. Right, but that spin's not a physical motion or anything. It's not. It, it's it's a physical thing in the sense that it's described by the same equations of motion that you can use for angular momentum, but it's not a physical thing in the fact that we don't believe that electron, the electron as we define it in theory, does not have a right. volume. Okay. So, here, so here, let me let me propose something to you, and I want you to explain. Uh, you have a you have a beach ball. It's spinning, and you put water on the beach ball, right? The friction of the surface tension of the water in the beach ball, and the spin pulls the water along, mm-hmm. right? So that's what a macro um, example of spin was. Now, if we take that down to electron spin or cork spin or something like that, what is like completely nonsense? What 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 carries from that? Anything? The the wave function is constantly like, changing. Does spin, okay, so absolute zero. I'm sorry. I want to let me give you a little bit more to feed on, and then I'll let you go. Absolute zero. Electrons are still spinning. 
interacting with things? Do they pull anything along? Is there that whole like beach ball friction water thing? The the wave function of the electron is constantly changing phase uh, between a positive and a negative phase, depending on what it, you can define positive and negative however you want. But it's phasing between these different states, uh, and it will continue to, regardless of whether there's any kinetic energy in the system. That oscillation is spin. The oscillation in phase, which can right, be from so, any angle or any direction. Okay, so oscillation. So think when you think of particle spin, you think of oscillation. I do. Yeah. Okay. And so spin up versus spin down oscillates in how? Like how do you describe that different oscillation? So this is this gets complicated because spin up can only be detected by detecting a detector that's looking in some. Like it'll be either spin up or it won't be spin up. Right, uh, and so you you say if it's not if you have a detector that detects spin up, then if you find something that's not spin up, then you say it must be spin down. But essentially, what you're saying is something is either spin up or not spin up. Okay. the The important thing here is that you can only define spin upon one direction. But that direction are they perpendicular oscillations? That they mean, are or? in all three dimensions. You can put this os- You can track this up in any dimension you want it is effectively oscillating right. in all but if dimensions. it's not spinning up is it perpendicular to whatever up is is in the local frame of reference or no it's more complicated than that okay uh lots well it, it, lots of times it's not That's at the time of measurement yes but then after measurement no and that has to do with eigenstates and and eigenvalues okay yeah, it gets into stuff that, that that's gets more complicated. But the the so, only the only okay, value so only when the eigenvalues are real can you actually measure. Something. If up is defined to the frame of reference, then like how how do you how do you define spin up if maybe you're looking at it upside down? Well, you're defining spin up based on a relative position. But how do I make sure my spin up is the same as your spin up? Because you can use an entangled system and show that uh, that they were the same or different. That we have the same frame of reference? Or? Yes, because you can use an entangled system to show that... The, an entangled system means that if one is spin up, then either the other one will be spin up or spin down, right? I mean, they're, they're going to be associated but with each other. So, so I can measure and mine... And frame of reference is not really three dimensions, it's... It is three dimensions. Oh, is it? Okay. But I can measure mine based on yours. I can only measure it relative to your system. I, can, I can't okay. measure... There's no universal frame of reference. Okay. There's no universal direction. I can measure my system relative but when to... You, okay, so... When you have a neutron, right? It's quarks that are whatever, two spin up, one spin down, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But... Does that mean my neutron is different than your neutron if we don't have the same frame of reference, or...? It's a hard question to answer. My neutron and your neutron are the same particle. Are they in the same... Sp- because they're, they're, they're ex- excitations... They're excitations at the same field. Right, so they're... If I looked at your neutron and I was at a different frame of reference, would I see it as something else? If you looked at my neutron from a different frame of reference, would you see something else? Yes. If you tried to met, if you took the same neutron that I measured it up, and you measured it at this angle here, you might get up, and you might not. But there's a mathematical pretend. I but, the, but quantum mechanics tells me that the difference between 
this up and this say 40 degrees from down, there's a very specific mathematical relation between how you view it and how I view it. That's what quantum mechanics says. Now, regular classical mechanics says that no, there's an absolute relationship between this. We should measure something. This is encoded in the neutron itself. This is not a factor of how we're measuring it. It's a part of the neutron itself. Quantum mechanics says, no, it's about how we measure it. That is the Bell experiments. The Bell experiments are about, okay, this and this will measure something differently. So slightly up and to a, to a different angle will measure something slightly differently if it's based on how we're measuring it versus if it's just something intrinsic to the particle. And you can statistically show that. And what do the stats say? Quantum mechanics is correct. It's based on how we measure it, not the particle itself. The particle doesn't have intrinsic information. The particle, for me, has a... It does not have the same intrinsic information as the particle from you. You're measuring. Okay, so but when you go back to the macro world, I guess everything collapses to something we can all agree on. Collapse is not the word we tend to okay. use, but it's more that everything coincides co- with what it, we agree it, on. It coalesces into, into yeah, essentially the same because so many when when so many systems are interacting with each other, you central limit theorem comes in and you you just get. Uh, did I ask good questions there? Yes. You did. I think you. I think you did it very much. So, did I answer them well? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious about. Like, I just saw an opportunity to kind of delve into spin, mm-hmm. and um, spin's a complicated. Thing. I, I was hoping that my my beach ball analogy, like you would. Like find one little tidbit, <laughs> like oh wow, you know, but it didn't go there. No, so the, maybe unfortunately, the next time. maybe the, the next time. The only tidbit I can point to is that you can describe how the ball is spinning based on equations uh, that, of angular momentum. You can describe the way the phase of the wave function changes based on the same equations of angular momentum. So that's why it's called spin. Yeah, but it's not spin in the same sense the same equations apply right but physically like physically I don't know if physically is the right word it's, it's the right word physically we don't have an intuition of what physically an electron is we don't say that electron has any value so volumes so how can something without any volume have a surface with which spin. it can spin okay makes sense as much sense as we can. But no, <laughs> that, that statement makes more sense to me than most of what we said in the last Okay. Episodes. I mean, I can get into things like Stein-Gerblach experiments, stuff like that. Not but, the, not now. Yeah. Uh, but, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, hell, I could talk about this all day, but uh, the, the, the point is things get complicated when you go quantum but only in terms of how you interpret the situation. The math itself doesn't really get that much more complicated. You just have to change your intuition about what's happening. You have to face that that challenge, which is in some ways a harder challenge than learning the math, is to, to forget your intuitions you have about how things work, because that's not how they work down there. And we've given as much evidence as I can possibly imagine to show that's truly the way yes things do work in this weird way and that way and 
you can't turn it into a classical system. You cannot make that leap. But there's times you, you can pull from it, right? I mean, there's... I can pull from, from, from the way that statistics are done on that level. And but, I mean, there's... there's, there's I can't think of an example right now. But there's been plenty... I think there's been plenty of examples where we've used classical analogies to describe. Sure. Absolutely. And I was just trying to find some analogies to help me understand. There are classical analogies for all... I can give you classical analogies for spin. I can give you classical analogies for electromagnetics. I can give you classical analogies for all these things. But I can't give you a classical analogy that will answer all the... That will explain every... The the classical analogy will fall apart at some point when I'm trying to explain a quantum thing. It'll be like this, except none. That's where the whole wave-particle thing comes in. It's funny. It's funny because now I'm looking for, like suitable classical analogies and we've argued before like I was so mad in like 11th grade chemistry or yeah, I, guess, I guess it was that where like we were still doing electron shells uh-huh. or yeah. orbitals or whatever right, right. it was we are doing orbitals instead of shells you know and it was if like, you're a chemist that's all you gotta care about you don't need to for the most part you don't need to understand what's going on I mean it, it, it's nice to have that and, and certainly if you're a chemistry like PhD I, I, you know and we've talked but, about this before but I think my biggest argument was the teacher never said and I understand teachers a lot more now mm-hmm. but the teacher never said there's more but here's how we're going to phrase it you know oh, it's Aerosmith baby yeah, yeah and, and I think you've you've come to the point where you realize there's more nuance here there's more nuance to the problem of than just simply keeping explaining right i mean the, the problem is these analogies fall apart i think i appreciate stopping short for understandability more than i did mm-hmm. 10 years ago because well now i appreciate how much more like there's no end to it yeah no and that that is that's the big problem, is that at the at the end of all these things, there's just questions. There's no point where I can say, and that's it. And we solved every problem. <laughs> I mean, you can say, and that's what we know. I can say, that's what we know, but I can't say, and then we we figured out everything about this system. And, and I mean, there is there's questions at the end of every of every answer. There, there, there's points where everything breaks down. There's edge cases and there's just stuff that we don't understand about everything. And there always will be. Because anytime you put a magnifying glass on something, you're not paying attention to what's outside of that magnifying glass. Okay, so you were talking, we were talking about pre-show about like whether your next computer will be a Mac or not. The thing that's killing me the most is not having iMessage on my computer. It's... it's, it's Heather sends me messages, mm-hmm. and I'm so less responsive because I gotta pull up my phone. I gotta unlock my unlock my phone's just a fingerprint, and then but but responding, typing, you know, just so much. I to me that's to tell her again on Google Hangouts. I don't use Google Hangouts anymore. She's gonna get on Skype. Whatever. Yeah, but, there's plenty of messaging I systems know. that will work with your. I know, but that really. Other than the instability of Windows, I miss. I, I miss two things. I miss iMessage, and I miss having a good, a great. Wow. I miss having a great terminal window, like iTerm two. Isn't that? Can't you no. get that? The yes, best sure thing on Windows is a, a thing called Commander, and it's 
It's only half as good as I turn two. It's... I'm sure I... there's some like open source shit out there. No, there were, so we actually there was an internal talk at Microsoft the other day about like so in the latest release of Windows they made some changes. So I think terminal changes are going to be better, but like there was hard limits why terminals sucked so bad in Windows. I'm not in the group where I could actually see the talk to see what the talk was about, but I read the abstract, and and so apparently there was good reasons the terminal sucked so bad. And hopefully now that the, uh, for, the Spring Creators release is out or whatever, RS4 is out, that uh, the terminal guys will be able to make a terminal that does not suck. <sighs> Maybe I'm just like my mother. <sighs> Blast it, baby. I was never a huge Prince fan, but man, there's times I like. Oh, he lost such a you know, like great musician. Like, some songs. I was like, never. I'm still not a Prince fan, but uh, like I've never. I've just never gotten into his music. I've never felt it. I've. I've I can appreciate his there. musicianship. A couple songs here and there get me. But, like, like this song, I don't get. I, what what songs do you like that? I think this song? one's a little overplayed. I don't know if I can come up with an image right now. I can't think of a Prince song that I that I yeah. legitimately maybe, like. Maybe I'm just trying to be like, you know, it's late. But yeah. no, there's times when like I... anything David like David Bowie to me is similar to Prince in that he's very eclectic and does stuff. But I can think of David Bowie songs I fucking love. And a lot of yeah. David Bowie songs I hate. But I can't think of a of a Prince song I love. Not a single one. Okay. And I don't mean to insult any Prince fans out there. I get yeah. it. I'm just not a music guy. Yeah, so... There's... I'm, I'm trying to figure out where I stand on this. Maybe I overspoke there. Maybe I didn't. There's some... I hear some Prince songs, and... You know, it's not the ones that are overplayed, but I, I hear it like... You know... I, I get it. I feel that there's, and this is before he died. But like, like, okay, there, it just it just hit me, but I don't know why. You know, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily love Prince, but I hear these songs that just strike me. Do I remember the names? Did I, did I ever know the names? I don't know, because I never really dug into Prince, but I did realize at least enough. And I, Bowie's a great, great corollary to that I mean you know there's just and I'm probably probably I'm a little like just like you I probably know Bowie songs better than Prince songs uh you know like I don't know last year I was going through like the Bowie catalog and like just finding again I like b-sides I like things that aren't mm-hmm. overplayed on the radio and I found a few things here and there that I write them down do I know what they are no because we're just listening on you know Amazon Music or whatever, Spiders from Mars album B side, you know the seventeenth track on the album, and it's like good stuff. So yeah, I don't know. It's I don't have time to be a music file right now. I've never been a music file, and I don't know if I have the brain for it. 
my brain just works in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> Happy soul. You know, I want to know what love is. <laughs> oh, man. I want you to show me. I'll show you, guy. Mm. I'll show you my love. <laughs> what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Put that on. Let's sing it. <laughs> Oh man, what else have I been doing? Oh, so <laughs> what is beer, baby? Don't brew. So me. You, you know I'm going to uh, stop me if I've told you the story. There's probably a 56 percent chance I told you this last week. Nice. Uh, so I'm going to Redmond this coming week, and in Redmond they have a maker garage. I tell you about all this. Mm-hmm. I took all the training and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. So I've been working on some projects, like some ideas to do out there. Uh, Heather might fly out next Friday on Buddy Pass. But I'm like really excited to get to use the MicroLab. But I've also like put out some feelers with people who run that. Like, so like, look, what are the thresholds to get a MicroLab on your site? Like, say Pittsburgh. How big does Pittsburgh have to be? Like, my, you're shaking your head and smiling. Mm hmm. Like I sure am. It, it's a it's 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 a moonshot. But like my like dream job would be to like run the maker lab. <laughs> You're laughing. You're making me feel bad. But like that would be like if I could like snag that and be like the custodian of the maker lab. How many people work on the Redmond campus? A lot. A lot. But no, there's there's maker labs in Boston which has like 400 people, and there's. Is it the kind of maker lab that you would want to run? Yeah. Laser cutters, 3D printers, CNC mills, vinyl cutters, soldering stations. Okay, then maybe it's possible. I'm just thinking, like, okay, the, the amount of people who work yeah. in Redmond, there's, no. there's got to yeah. be a, a percentage I, of that. There, there's a maker lab in San Jose, in Silicon Valley. There's one in Boston. There is one in India. There's one in Israel. There's right. and then it's not it's not as silly as I thought. Yeah, because like, I was thinking, no, if it's only red, no, no, I'm not. I'm not completely pipe dreaming, but like I'm putting out, I'm laying the groundwork to get there. You know, like you just want to stop your career here and just work on a maker lab. Well, it depends on depends on what the comp package is, but it you know you know like a place like Microsoft, you have other opportunities. Like true, I would also true. like to get into. Um, you know, so Microsoft does Make Code, which is the block base. It's like Scratch, but for microcontrollers like micro bits and circuit playgrounds and things like that. Like, I I think it would be cool to get into like the educational outreach part of something like that too. I've always been a pretty good instructor. I I love enabling children to do tech. It'd be a pretty big change in what I do day to day. Yeah, yeah, it would be. But, uh, yeah, I don't see any reason why you couldn't So, do it I mean, I have these to. opportunities. I'm just trying to feel them out, see what's available to me. I mean, I think there's a pretty fair chance that being the... Excuse me, I got sneeze. Bless you. I think there's a pretty fair chance being the custodian of the Maker Lab in Pittsburgh would not meet my salary requirements. Yeah. Probably not. But if I don't ask, I will never know. Nothing wrong with asking. And it would be a dream. I mean, it would just be it'd be fun. It would be it's like what it's it's 
so I like what I do. I like working on IT and tech and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What's the next level dream job? It's sure. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd quit my job if I get to work in the LHC. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah. All right, I got to pee too. So all right, time to wrap this uh, sucker up. Bye, everybody. What is love? <laughs>